Hey, friends. This is Jamie, and this is the long-awaited return, at least on my part, of the Real Mom podcast. I am so excited to be back. I am so excited to be talking to more amazing moms, biological, adoptive, foster, and really getting to get to know them and share them with you. And today we have a special episode because I talked to an adoptive mom, but she's also a licensed clinical social worker who has expertise in child mental health and really strong expertise in trauma. And so we really dive into COVID and the effects it's having on our kids from hard places and how we can help them through it, how we can be fighting for grace for them and to access God's grace for ourselves. And really just get to benefit from someone with Marion's experience and expertise and get to apply it to this really challenging time we're in right now. And so this is a special episode for me because it is the reboot and I get to be with you all again and I'm so excited about that. And it's a special episode because we're addressing so much that's really relevant to where we are right now. I am so happy to be back on the Real Mom podcast, and I'm excited for you to hear this episode today with adoptive mom, licensed clinical social worker, Marion Smizer. All right, I'm talking to Marion Smizer today. I'm so excited to be able to have just your perspective and wisdom, Marion. The reason that I specifically wanted you on right now is because I think so many of us are in this you know, confusion of how to help our kids through everything that's going on. And, and you are a clinical social worker and you have this perspective, but I want to start not just with your expertise. I want to start with you and your family. So introduce your family to me. Yeah. So my husband's name is Drew. He is a worship and youth pastor. We live in Georgia. We have two children. We have an eight-year-old named Dalton. We adopted him out of foster care a little less than a year ago. And then we have a 16-month-old biological daughter named Lillian. Okay. So did eight-year-old through foster care come before the 16-month-old? Yes. So Dalton came to our home when he was five years old. And then he was with us for almost two years before we finalized the adoption. Lots of up and downs. Didn't know how long he was going to be with us. Sure. If he was going back to family. If he was going somewhere else. I mean, it was a constant roller coaster. And then when he had been in our home for about four months, I found out that I was pregnant, which was not the plan. I was not expecting that to happen. So then I was going through all of the stress of trying to figure out if we were adopting Dalton while I was pregnant and wanting to conceal my pregnancy because yeah. I was worried if they found out I was pregnant, they would say he couldn't be in our home. So, so how did that, that was, play out? So I waited as pretty much as long as possible to okay. tell anyone that I was pregnant. Okay. And then I we foster through, we're actually an open home right now where you don't have a placement at the moment, but, but we are open. In Georgia, we foster through a private agency. So we have a caseworker separate from like the state defects. So I remember very vividly, I was at the OBGYN office for my 16 week checkup and we were, we'd made progress. We thought he was going to stay with us. And then I get a phone call from our private agency caseworker who says, so I just got off the phone with defects and they say that there's another family member who has come forward for Dalton. But if you still want to adopt, they have a baby you can have. And I was just like, what? Oh my <laughs> like, goodness. In, in what world does our worker think that we are just in this to adopt? So anyway. And just family, trade kids. Like, oh, we'll right. take this one and yeah. we'll give you another you take one. Dalton, who's yeah. been in our home for 
at that point, not quite a year. And we'll just take this baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind that I'm pregnant. And pee- yeah. literally, I was peeing in a cup at the OBGYN <laughs> office, but I saw it was her calling and I knew she doesn't call, she didn't call me unless it was right. a deal. She didn't normally text me. So I those are the her. calls you pick up. When the social right. worker calls, those are the ones you don't ignore, yes. even if you're peeing yeah. in a cup. <laughs> right. So then when they were taking my blood pressure and everything, I had to explain why my blood pressure was super high and that it wasn't. <laughs> pregnancy related, but related to this other child. So that family member ended up not being an option anymore. And eventually the case, the defects caseworker found out I was pregnant and she actually didn't even notice. Like I was very obviously showing and we had our TPR hearing and the judge said, well, these people look like they're a great choice for Dalton. And then the defects worker said something about the baby that wanted to be adopted. I was like, can you not tell that I am pregnant? Like I am very (laughs) obviously pregnant. So that ended up not being a problem. So you came into this with the goal of adoption? No, not at all. Okay. (laughs) Never thought we would adopt. When they asked us that question, when we were doing the paperwork, we said, I mean, if if it's the right situation, sure. Like we're not going to not adopt a child who needs it, but that was never that was never our intent. We wanted to foster. We wanted to work with biological parents. We yeah. wanted to return them. Without going into too much detail about his story, Dalton's biological parents are not in the picture. Yeah, have okay. never been. There are other family in the picture, but they have never been. So we never really got to do the, you know, we call it partnership parenting here in Georgia is like yeah. the term that DFACs use. We never got to do that. But we also, his his goal was not adoption when he first came to our home. So was a long road getting there. It was very stressful, but we made it. (laughs) Now, now we're here with two children. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny how you could have a plan for neither of those children were in your brain a couple of years ago. And yet God had a plan for them to both be in your family. And what is it, what was it like to go through? I've been on the roller coaster that you are talking about very often, but always with my own biological children in tow and never going anywhere. What was it like for this to be your experience without having other children and that roller coaster of, is he staying, is he going, is he staying, is he going? I mean, I think the roller coaster of, is he staying, is he going is probably the same for everyone. But then you have the added stress of, I don't know what I'm doing. Like the first time we took him to a birthday party, I texted a friend of mine and I said, am I supposed to stay? Like, do I drop him off? Do I stay? Like, I don't like, what are the norms? Just learning how to parent. Right. Yeah. So, and then people, they look at my age, like I'm not even 30 yet. And they see that I have an eight year old and then people, you know, hear details about your lives and they found out how long my husband and I have been married and they start doing the math in their head. And then they're like, (laughs) oh, he's a pastor, but been married five years and you have an eight-year-old. So oh, that's so funny. Adding up. And he looks just like me. Dalton does. He looks oh, exactly wow. like me. So then people are just super confused. Yeah. <laughs> and we can either just kind of watch and let them sit uncomfortably or, or <laughs> let them in on the story right. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right. So we're in this time right now talking really just about the collective trauma of everything that's going on and it's affecting everyone in the world. Mm -hmm. And what an unusual thing to live through where to one extent or another, everyone is experiencing this traumatic event and how much more so are kids who have already experienced trauma. So I want to hear, just share a tiny bit about your expertise, your work experience. Okay. 
So I am a licensed clinical social worker. Right now, I am a school social worker, but my the majority of my professional career has been in child and adolescent mental health. I was a therapist right there at lines doing the therapy with the kids day in and day out. And I would say trauma is what I have the most knowledge and education in. I'm trained in um, something called TFCBT. That stands for Trauma-Focused Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. A lot of kids who have been traumatized. That's an evidence-based approach. Yeah, um, It's really great. It's one of my favorite ones. And I'm also trained in EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's also, that one's a little bit more controversial, but it's another great therapy to try for kids who have been traumatized. So therapy is what I'm, or trauma is what I'm passionate about. It's what I feel the most comfortable doing yeah. um, and what I feel like as a therapist, I'm the most knowledgeable about. Okay. Well, that's why you're here today (laughs) (laughs) because we talk a lot about trauma on this show and just in our communities of foster and adoptive moms. But I want to talk a little bit just specifically about what it's like for our kids right now, especially our kids who have experienced trauma now before to Mm -hmm. be walking through such uncertainty and instability and schedules being overturned and all of that. So give us a little bit of a picture into why this is so hard for our kids potentially. Okay. So first I'm going to give just like a very basic layman's explanation of how trauma works. Yeah. Um, So when you are scared, your body goes into survival mode, flight or freeze. So basically right now we are collectively as a society, we are experiencing something that is chronically scary. Like Hmm. the pandemic is here and it has been for what, six weeks now? And it's not going away. So our brains are kind of in a heightened state of arousal. So think about like if you, something startles you and you get scared for the next like five minutes, you might be kind of jumpy and you might be kind of irritable with your kids until your body calms down. But the threat isn't going away. And so we are staying heightened. I mean, I know some of the things I get nervous about, like, are we going to make it till the next grocery pickup with food? Is someone in my family going to come down with coronavirus? Is Am I going to be able to work full-time from home, teach Dalton on the computer, and then have a toddler running around? Like, how and am not I going to go be crazy. <laughs> exactly. And not go crazy, not be able to leave the house. Right. So like, those are the things that are threatening us. Yeah. I mean, they are. They're scary. And so our brain is kind of in a heightened state of arousal. So when you are in this heightened state of arousal, you're in survival mode. And so the thinking part of your brain shuts down and the survival part of your brain takes over. Um, And since the thinking brain has shut down, you don't think as clearly. And so specifically for our kids, they don't make very good decisions. They're impulsive. They have meltdowns a lot easier. And it's because they're scared. And the part of their brain that controls their ability to control themselves literally isn't working because their brain thinks, I have to survive in order. I I have to survive. So I have to shut this down so that we will stay alive. We will make it. Yeah. Now, let let me ask you real quick just playing sort of devil's advocate, how many of our kids do you think are really internalizing the threat, you know, or how many of our kids are like, we're just staying home a lot, you know, like this is, yeah, there's instability, but, but they're really just thinking, Oh, I'm home with mom and dad. I mean, I think it depends on the individual child and their situation. The difference between, you know, someone who has not been traumatized and someone who has is that someone who has not been traumatized when they are scared, eventually their brain goes back to normal relatively quickly. But a child who has been traumatized, 
their brain doesn't. It stays in that heightened state of arousal for so long. And so they are literally living in survival mode all the time. And then things that would not typically scare someone, their brain thinks is a threat to their survival. So like, for example, being told that, no, you can't have another snack right now. Most kids who have had food available to them all of their life they're going to say, okay, and they're going to be disappointed or, you know, there might be some behavior issues if they like want sugar or something. But for the most part, being told, no, you can't have a snack is not going to be a big deal. For children who are traumatized because they've had food insecurity in their past, that is going to cause them, they're going to shut down their prefrontal cortex and their the survival part of their brain is going to come on because they're thinking, no food, I'm going to die. What do I have to do in order to survive? And yeah. that's something we're dealing with our son right now, he does have a history of being deprived of food. And so we are trying to figure out specifically right now, how do we handle that? Because food is not available quite as much as it normally is, you know? Like yeah. I mean, typically the narrative is we always have enough yeah. food. We can always yes. get more food. And yeah. it's a, a strange yeah. dynamic to say, like, actually, we may not have access right. to this thing that makes you feel safe. <laughs> hmm Yeah. So typically we keep a bowl of fruit on the counter and Dalton knows anytime, day or night, whenever he wants it, he can go get fruit. He doesn't have to ask whatever fruit is in the bowl, bananas, oranges, pears, whatever it is he can get. But right now we're trying, we don't really know how to handle that. And I realize I'm supposed to be the expert, but I realized pretty (laughs) early on, once I had a child, it's a lot easier to tell someone how to raise a traumatized child than to actually do it yourself. Everyone is like clapping right now. They are loving hearing the licensed clinical social worker admit what we've all known, which is like, yeah, it's a great idea. Yep. I should do that next time. You're right. But it's not going to work maybe. And it's going to be hard to do. Yeah. I mean, me, the licensed clinical social worker, I even went into my adoptive mom support group that I have locally, the Facebook page and said, help. What should I like? Yeah. What are y'all doing about the food situation right now? Like right. I need advice. I know one, this was as far as the food situation goes. One thing that I've seen a lot of moms, not regular, everyone's a regular mom, but like the yeah. people who just have biological children and who yeah. don't have children from hard places, what they have been posting is a snack drawer and they put all the snacks in for the day. Cause, and just cause boredom, like Dalton is asking for snacks more often cause he's bored, honestly. Sure. And so for a child that hasn't been traumatized, giving them a bucket and filling it with, you know, five snacks and saying, okay, here's your snacks for the day. When they're gone, they're gone. That would work. But for a child who has been deprived of food, that is like the worst idea because they're going to one, probably eat all their food immediately because their brain is going to say, I'm going to run out of food. So therefore I just need to eat. And then the food's going to be gone. And then you're going to say, well, you ate all your snacks. So then you are depriving them of food, which is what they're scared of in the first place. So it's hard because one, he doesn't need snacks all the time because he just doesn't, he's just bored. But two, trying, I'm trying, we're trying to figure out how much of this is trauma response, how much of this is boredom, how much of this is it's a work in progress for us. Yeah. Well, yeah. And just learning that there, there isn't the answer and, you know, as someone who does therapy with kids with trauma, you were probably were used to giving, well, here's not the answer, but do this thing. And this is the method and it it's methods are harder lived out. And especially in yes. really challenging times where we yes. may not be at our best. I mean, if you're not regulated yourself <laughs> and yeah. if you 
are struggling yourself, it is a really hard time to help one child, let alone if you have multiple children with multiple needs. I know that is the thing that is hardest for me. Like, yes, you need so much from me to help you stay regulated. And I can give and see that you, you know, you're starting to, my attunement is good enough that I can see like, all right, things are going off a little. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring comfort and try to increase felt safety and those sorts of things. Right. But then when the next kid starts five minutes later, and then when the next kid needs me an hour later, and then that first kid has the half hour, it's so hard to not have any respite and give your kids what they need when there's multiple who need different things throughout the day. Yeah. Cause they have needs because this is hard for them, but this is scary for us too. We've yeah. never been through anything like this. Like this for me in my mind is almost at an equal level as nine 11, like as impactful, I think in my life, because for me, nine 11 was the first time I think I ever realized that we are not guaranteed safe because we live in America. Right. And right. then now like going to the store and seeing food shortages and they don't have flour and we don't, you know, we might not be able to get milk for the first time in my life. I don't have access to things that I need now. Are we going to die of starvation? No. Like, you know, we can buy macaroni and we can buy broccoli, but not for the first time, not having access to the things that I have been used to having access yeah. to my entire life. That's just a hard thing to wrap my mind about. Like it's a total switch in how I, yeah, yeah. For the, most, the you're world. right. For most Americans, it is a very unique experience to not be able to immediately get what you want or need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the very least there's this sense of inconvenience and, you know, not being able to have the things that can bring comfort and happiness and those sorts of things. But then there's also on a deeper level, so many people are struggling with anxiety and fear and yeah. So I really am grateful that you gave that sort of baseline description of trauma. And so, so many of our kids are, you know, sensing the things to be afraid of and the instability and are going to that place. So I guess the next question is, how do we help them when that's where they are? And when we start to identify like, oh, this thing, this isn't just boredom and this isn't just them acting out, but they're really, you know, their brain, they're not operating from their prefrontal cortex. They're not operating at optimal thinking and planning. How then do we as their parents help them? I think that we, and this is something I pray every single morning that I would just have grace for Dalton and for Lillian and for my husband and me too. Yeah. Yeah. Like we just, we, we just have to have grace for ourselves and we have to have grace for our children because this is scary. It's scary for all of us. And we just have to have grace. I know that's not a clinical answer, but (laughs) every morning I pray like, Lord, please give me grace. Please help me hold my tongue. Please help me be patient. Please help me be kind. Please help me be encouraging. And I know that I'm failing at that. So often, like there have been a couple things that Dalton has said to me that have just been like zingers to the heart. Mm. Like there was one time he just, it was because he was anxious. He was asking a lot of just really random questions about, well, why is there a dent in the, just random things that didn't make sense. And I was trying to do something and I would kind of was like, Dalton, would you please stop asking me questions? And he goes, mom, I'm just a kid. And kids mm. ask questions. And I was like, 
I am the worst mother ever. (laughs) So I think just having, having grace for them and having grace for ourselves and just relying on the Lord to give us that because we are sinful and it is not in our nature to give grace, but he, he makes it possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think many of us probably are having to be confronted by our own weakness in a new way. You know, there is something definitely biblical and wise about resisting temptation and cutting off your hand. And so, so many of us are like, oh, I just need to get out for time or I just need a break. And there's wisdom in that. But what if you get to a point like we all are in right now of those things that we sometimes rely on to mm-hmm. bring peace? or to bring joy or to be our place of refuge and rest aren't available in the same way. And it leads to a greater dependence on just the Lord being our strength. And it leads to us failing. I mean, that is the reality. We're all dealing with our own impatience and our own anger and our own fear and our own selfishness. And and so to be faced with that can be either really discouraging and, you know, can bring us to our knees in defeat, or it can just be an opportunity to receive grace again each morning. Oh, yesterday, again, I was not who I wanted to be. And I did not love my child well, and I was not kind and patient, but thank you, Jesus, that your mercies are new every morning, that your blood covers yesterday and covers today and tomorrow. And I think it has brought, or it can, it has the potential if we fight for it to bring us to just a gratitude for how his grace colors everything, colors these hard times. It's a deeper fellowship with him. It's a deeper reliance on him because I am more tired than I have ever been in my life. And so sometimes I just have to pray, Lord, give me the energy to make it to nap time and rest time. Give me the energy to make it to outside time. Give me the energy to make it through bedtime. And so it's just having to rely on the Lord in ways that I haven't before and that he's good and he's faithful. And even when I am not, he's still faithful. And yeah. like he said, his mercies are new every morning. I put that on one of those little trendy felt letter board things. Yeah. It. It's the first thing I see when I wake up. Yes. Just as a reminder, if I failed yesterday, yes. that's okay. I get another chance today. And again, yeah. another chance tomorrow. And that's kind of how we try to explain forgiveness and grace to Dalton is that God always gives you second chances. And then tomorrow you get a second chance. And then the next day you get a second chance. And his blood covers all those failed second chances. I mean, that is the great gift. It's not, it's not just that we have to arrive eventually. It's that he already arrived and we are yeah. just walking in that. And mm-hmm. man, what a gift. All his right. So let's... Let's hit it a little more clinically now. So we all need to be fighting for grace for our kids and just finding strength from the Lord. What can we do to, you know, increase felt safety? What can we do to help our kids really feel secure in a time that isn't so insecure? I think having a daily schedule is really important. Granted, make it a flexible one because things are going to come up and you're going to need to adjust, but having a daily schedule that the child knows generally, this is what happens first. This is what happens next. Then in the afternoon, this happens and this is how we end the day. Um, yeah, and Marion, I think that's really helpful that the way you just said that, because someone like me, 
buckles against the idea of a daily schedule. So if you say daily schedule, I picture color coding and minute, but we're not talking schedule out your day. It's let there be a rhythm to your day. A routine. Yeah. Routine is probably the better way to describe it. And some people really thrive under schedules. So some people are really going to want that and their kids are going to need that. But you know, whatever the word is for you, let it, let it ring true. Rhythm, routine, schedule, let there be a, a roadmap for your day that your kids can anticipate, oh, this isn't just we're home and it's chaos. It's a similar to school. I know that first I have classes and then I have lunch and then I have recess. We're just adapting that same rhythm for our day mm-hmm. at home. And what we have tried to do is we, we try to have the same routine Monday through Friday. And then we let, we try to keep Saturday and Sunday. We try to let it feel like a Saturday and Sunday. We try to make our Saturdays and Sundays similar to how they were pre coronavirus, just without going out. We go and get food and we eat it at home as opposed to going out to eat. And we do church. So it's, we really don't do a schedule on the weekends because we have these other things that Dalton knows are, this is what we do on the weekends. But the funny thing is we go back to it. Even that is maintaining the rhythm. Even that is, yeah, it, it, right. It's a meta routine. Okay. But then we have these days where we just rest and we don't structure and, you know, we Sabbath on Sunday and then Mm -hmm. now we're going back. So even just that routine can bring that same stability that they had before. It's freedom. There's freedom, but there's also structure. Sure, sure. Like that. Yeah. So I'd say that's super helpful. I would say scheduling intentional rest time. Dalton hates it that he has to rest in his room for an hour to an hour and a half every day, but it's what it's what we're going to do because he needs a break from us. He needs to not, for his sake, he needs to not be clingy to us. Yeah, for that's my good. Sake. For, right, for both of your sakes. Right, for both of our sakes. And it yep. corresponds well with the baby's nap time. The baby just dropped from two naps to one nap, which Ooh, is not what you want time. to happen in the middle of a quarantine. <laughs> so, but it's, you know, Dalton rests while Lillian naps. And I usually watch TV. And then my husband like goes and lays in the hammock or does something on his guitar or something like that. So we're all resting from each other is the yeah. way that we say it. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, I think some, I've heard some people roll their eyes at this a little bit, but we, not that it's the only screens my kids are watching. So I'm not trying to make it like, oh, they only watch an hour a day, but we have a screen time so that, and that's what it is. Each kid has an individual screen and they are in individual spaces. And I know that they are not going to be arguing with each other and they're not going to be asking me questions for 40 minutes. And that is just like, I can look forward to it. They then are excited to come back together. So instead of it being like, get me out of your hair and there's kind of been screens on all the time. And so they're not that exciting to be in front of. And it's like this, we're excited about it. We know what it is. They know it's like two o'clock every day. And so, you know, mom, I'm done lunch and I did a puzzle. Can I go do screen time? Everyone does it at the same time. But a big piece of it is, all of us having a break from each other. And then when we come back, it's like, Hey, do you want to play cards? Hey, do you want to? And everyone's excited to be together again. That's a really creative way to use screen time. Cause that, that was another thing I was going to suggest is save screen time for when you need it. When you need it. When I am just desperate, that's when Dalton gets to play his Nintendo switch or go watch TV. Or if I just like have to 
do something do a phone for work, call. Right. That's when, I mean, but then you throw a 16 month old who could care less if the TV <laughs> is on it. Don't actually get much work done, even if he's watching TV. Yeah. But yeah, using the screen time, because I mean, yes, there's a lot of bad things about screens, but also they can be a gift and they can be a tool. And so choose to use them as a tool as opposed to just free for all. Yep. That's really good. I really like that. All right. Any other tips for helping our kids just to feel more stability in this time? Just being willing to answer their questions about Mm. it, but trying to find the line between answering questions, but not letting them dwell on it. And probably for us too, as adults, like deciding I'm going to stop looking at the news now. Like I am going to have a news free day. Like I know we are not going to die if I don't look at the news and don't look at more statistics tomorrow. And so it's kind of the same way you might mediate that for yourself. Know when you need to say, Hey, well, let's go do this instead. Like those are great questions. We've answered these questions. Well, now let's go do something else. Otherwise it kind of just becomes a fixation and that can just create more anxiety. So it's it's a hard line, but if you, you know, your child and you know, it's best for your child. And so you'll be able to find that line with them. That's good. Now, what about, so I'll say, just to talk a little bit less theoretically and more about what it's been like in my family. One, I have <laughs> I have a number of needs of lots of people in my home, but I'll talk about two sort of very different. One of my kids has pretty significant attachment issues. And so something like this, at least for the time being, maybe not in a month from now when we go back to work, but this child is living her best life. Mom doesn't go anywhere. We know exactly, you know, the question every night before bed for years is what are we doing tomorrow? And then what, and then what? And that question has disappeared. So I know even there is that felt safety. It's like, I don't even need to worry about tomorrow. Cause I know tomorrow is me and mom are together all day and dad's in the basement and we're going to see him and we're all having fun together. And yeah. So everything we're talking about, about the effects of trauma, it's, it's had the opposite effect on her because the most difficult thing for her is the in and out of me as her mom. And so for us to just be in the home together, is her dream come true. But two of my other kids' issues are very different. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to you know, level three, level four type behaviors and how we can, a pep talk really, like I need a pep talk right now of how to continue to have vision for helping my kids staying regulated myself and really working to help them stay regulated when we are having like through the roof behaviors one to five times a day with each child. Give me a pep talk as mom for like how I need to, I can do this. (laughs) And then also just any tips of how to help them feel regulated and and how to deescalate. So I would say look for kind of the cues that a meltdown is coming. And if you know what their triggers are, do whatever you can to avoid those triggers, especially right now. We are in such a crisis mode right now that I think anything I'm going to say is going to be more about making sure that you as a family survive this quarantine as opposed to like long-term growth for your child. That's a good point. Right, right, right. (laughs) Because I mean, yeah, we, we are in crisis. And so don't, don't expect your kids to make significant 
progress in this because this is hard and this, there's extra stress and none of us thrive when we are under extra stress. So um, I would say, look for those triggers, try to remove the triggers, take advantage of diversion. So if you can tell something is coming, like, oh, this would be a great time to pull out a screen. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't want to reward bad behavior. And so if you can do it soon enough so that they don't, aren't able to connect, oh, if I do this, then I get a screen. If you can catch it early enough, then you've just diverted their attention to something else. And maybe you can avoid the meltdown. And I, I know it. I do. And the energy that it can take when I am... I mean, it happened this morning, literally, I was sitting with two kids, homeschooling them, the baby's coming and sort of pulling everyone's papers. And I can feel my level going up a little bit and I'm less regulated. And then the one child, I mean, she may as well have a red light that blinks saying, I am about to have an hour long screaming, kicking, slamming meltdown. And most of the time I'm able to go, oh, she needs me. Stop everything I do. Go. We have a a cue, a word. I say, remember, we do a hug. We do the deep breathing. She knows how to even ask for it. But the energy it takes to do, to stop everything you're doing and do it in the moment, it can be so hard. And so I end up choosing battles knowing where they're going to end. I know this is going to end with her kicking me as I try to close the door in her room. Like, I know that that is the end of this. And yet in the moment, I'm just like, I don't have the energy to keep everyone regulated and myself regulated all the time. And that is what we were talking about before of just relying on God, asking for his help and then going to him for forgiveness because I am failing constantly. I'm failing my kids. I'm getting angry. I'm, and that is where this, like, okay, this clinical piece that we need to hold up, but then the God's grace has to cover it all because we can have the tools and fail our kids. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that this is also a really good time to mention self care. And I'm not yeah. typically a person that's all like self care, self care, because one, it's usually just like, three more things for me to have to do. And yeah. yeah, yeah. Day. Add it to but the also, list. You know, I think in our society, sometimes self-care just becomes super selfish. And so I'm usually not a person to tout like, Oh, self-care. I wasn't but in the crisis that we are in right now. You will literally be a better parent if you take time for yourself. And of course that's harder right now because we can't go anywhere. And, but like literally you being a good parent is going to depend on you making sure that you are able to have that energy. And so therefore doing whatever you have to do to be able to have that mental and emotional energy to deal with the breakdowns. Yeah, absolutely. It is that sort of cause and effect. It is, you know, this isn't just like, oh, self-care, like go have a margarita. This is like, no, no, no. Fight and keep fighting and wake up early if you have to. And Lock yourself in your room if you have, but you have to be ready for the red light that is warning an hour long meltdown because your kids need you to be. And even some of the, you know, the coping skills that you mentioned, like the deep breathing and the stuff like that, deep breathing is really helpful for me. Like even if I just take one deep breath, I instantly feel my body starting to regulate itself. And so, you know, picking up some of 
your child's coping skills that they're doing with their therapist because then you get the benefit of doing them. You are demonstrating for your child, you sure. doing them in the moment and then they're watching you do it. And so therefore you're leading by example. And then you're also just helping them review it and reminding them and serving as a cue to them to use those coping skills as well. Sure. Yeah. That's such a great point. Just being a good example, even. <laughs> I mean, one of my kids is really resistant to any sort of tools. And so, but also very into being like me. And so I do see the power in just like, well, I do this too. Like I sleep with a weighted blanket and I sleep the things that we've seen a lot of resistance to like, okay, I'm going to live this out and hope that they learn from it. My biggest concern right now, honestly, is the ease back into normal life. If that makes sense. Like a lot of people really are ready to get back into normal life. I 100% am ready. But I'm concerned about two things. This one is just very personal that I am too busy and too stressed and don't do a great job limiting myself or anything like that. And so I'm appreciating the forced rest. But the other thing is I am concerned for my kids. They struggle with transitions. So they tr- they struggle with summer and Christmas, like happy things, good things can be hard for our kids as well because transitions are really challenging. And so we've transitioned into being home all the time. Now we're going to have to transition to this. So like I'm sitting at my office right now because there's no one else here. And my kid with the attachment struggles was a wreck when I left and I got in the car and not just like, you know, bratty crying, like it was clear she was deeply affected. And I thought, oh no, we're going to have to reteach. Mom leaves and mom comes back and you can trust that. What is it going to look like to ease our kids back into old routine and normal life? I think just preparing them that it is going to happen, at least when we think it is, since I don't think any of us really know exactly when that's going to happen and when it's going to be safe. So that is something that is really, that is going to be challenging is that because normally I would say, if you have a big transition coming up, talk about it, plan for it. Right. Make the paper change. Right. Count down days. Desensitization. Like if, you know, you're transitioning to school, drive by the school every single day. Okay. Then the next week, drive by and get out and walk up to the door. And so finding finding ways to do that. You might have to get creative in ways that you do that. I'm hopeful that come fall, as we are starting the school year, that things will have died down by then. I know depending on which news station you listen to, they say a million (laughs) different things, but in an ideal world, well, in an ideal world, we wouldn't be dealing with this, but in an ideal world, it would be great if this transition back could happen right around the same time that school would typically be starting back. Down here, that's beginning of August. And so it would kind of just ease back into a natural, a natural transition, a natural transition that going probably all our kids would struggle summer. with oh, anyway. anyway <laughs> so, so yeah, I would say just finding ways to start talking about it. I mean, find ways to leave the house so that she gets used to you not being there. So it's not such a shock when it's, you know, all day again or whatever, and just talk about it, keeping open communication. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I, my daughter's therapist, had that same input. And so we've been doing, I go in the basement and I miss bedtime. You know, it's been once a week, but I miss bedtime and I I say goodnight to them and they know what to anticipate and where I am, but I'm not there the same way. And so just starting to 
ease into more normal transitions like that, that mom isn't always here, but you know that I'm always here in the morning. You know that I always come back and you know that you're safe with your dad, but it's an unusual struggle to go, oh no, I'm scared for my kids for when we go back to normal life. You know, this is hard, but how is that going to be hard as well? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be hard for them. It's going to be hard for us too. I mean, yeah. I know, you're going to have to I'm, start I'm waking think- up. <laughs> yeah, that. And I'm pretty freaked out about germs. And so it's yeah. like, okay, so at what point will I feel comfortable taking my kids out in public again? Like at what point will I not tell Dalton hands in your pockets? Because right before we went into lockdown that we knew this was starting to happen. Anytime we went in public, he knew his hands went in his pockets. And if they came out, he was going to be in trouble because we're keeping our hands in our pockets right now. And so just how am I personally going to transition back to not being so freaked out about germs all the time and worrying about touching my face and wearing a mask and you know all of those things. It's, it's going to be hard for all of us. Yeah. And so let's just go back to the same thing of grace. We are going to have to rely (laughs) on God's grace to carry us through what he's carrying us through now, just as he always has carried us and through all of the unknowns and the eventual transition back. Yeah, that's really good. One thing that I felt like God has been reminding me of recently, you know, because we all have as much as life has stopped, life is also still going. Like foster care stuff is still going. Cases are still open. Things are still happening. We're going through life transitions. And I feel like God has been telling me that he has known since the beginning of time that what we have going on in our life right now was going to happen during this pandemic. Like this is not a surprise to him. He knew that this was going to happen in the middle of the pandemic. And so he knew. And so I didn't, but that's okay because he did and he is good. And I just going to have to choose to trust him. Yeah. And he is good. And that is why, you know, trust isn't just right. It's smart. (laughs) He is the God of the universe and he is good and always acts in his goodness and love to us. And so it's not just that we have to trust him, but we can trust him. And that's, that's what's so glorious about it. It's, it's yeah. a smart thing to do because he is the good God. So. Yes, he, he is good. Even when things in the world are bad, he is yeah, so good. So good. All right, let's switch gears. I want to talk a little more casually about what, especially in quarantine, you're doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. So what are you doing? What's your thing? So I have gotten very into baking bread. Okay. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's baking. a thing we're supposed to do now, like bread and pretzels, soft pretzels. I see... I my feed is like covered in people who are baking bread and soft pretzels. I'm like, all right, I guess this is what we're doing now. <laughs> I haven't done pretzels, but we've, I've been doing bread. I've been trying to do sourdough. Okay. My husband thinks it's hilarious because I have this sourdough starter going. Yeah, he, yeah. Just, he, he calls it goop and he's yeah. like, well, your new hobby where you just take goop out of the microwave and you smell it and you taste it and then you add something to it. And then you put it back in because <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm measuring the water and I'm measuring the flour and I bought a little kitchen scale and he just doesn't get it. And then you That's have a, a sourdough discard. So then he walked into the kitchen one day and he goes, why is this multiplying? Now there are two yeah. instead of one, <laughs> but it's fun. It's something new to do. Yeah. Good job doing something new. All right. What are you to. eating besides sourdough bread? What are you eating? I am very into flavor blast goldfish right now. They, <laughs> it's one of my favorites. So specific that, flavor. <laughs> that, that, yeah. I don't like, I mean, I do like the regular ones, but the flavor blast ones 
are the best because they've got the extra cheesy flavor on them. <laughs> They're always a favorite, but I go through like ups and downs with them. Like I'll, I'll eat a bunch and but then we'll do a whole 30. And so then I'll like forget about them for a little while. Yeah, yeah. I rediscovered them in quarantine. And I've also discovered that goldfish paired with red wine is actually <laughs> a really good snack. And it really I sense that really like well. going viral. Everyone is going to jump on the goldfish and red wine. It's perfect. I mean, it's the cheese, cheese and wine. Everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. Wine go together. Exactly. I like it. That's great. All right. What are you reading? I'm reading a book called America's First Daughter. It's about Thomas Jefferson's daughter. They, the authors also wrote one about Hamilton. I read that one a couple months ago. This one is actually better. I like this one a lot more. And then I'm also reading When Helping Hurts. It's a book about alleviating poverty. Yeah. 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 I I've read When Helping Hurts. So is our like historical biographies, is that like your go-to? Is that what you like to read? I do really like historical fiction. I'm kind of getting tired of like the World War II era that's super popular right now. There's a bunch of those books that have come out about like the Holocaust and stuff. And so I chose this one because it was from a different time period. Oh, so this is fiction. Yeah. Okay. Historical fiction. I mean, it's like, it's not, yeah, it's not like a true biography. It's it's written. It reads like a novel. Okay. Oh, cool. All right. What are you watching? I just started watching Madam Secretary. Oh, is it it's good? really good. Yeah, it's really good. If, if you like West Wing and shows like that. I do like West Wing. And it's actually, it's pretty clean for a Netflix mm. show. So I don't have to worry. You know about what? I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. I don't have to worry about them like hearing an F-bomb if they're walking through the room or something. Right, like right, right. So that's nice that I don't have to pause it it's every time. daytime friendly. <laughs> yes, TV. it is. Every yes. once in a while I'll be watching a show. I'm like, oh, the kids could like overhear this and it not be a problem. Too often yes. it's not the case. <laughs> All right. What are you listening to? I have been listening to a worship collective called the Porter's Gate. It has artists like Audrey Assad and Sandra McCracken and Josh Garrels. They have two different albums out. One of them is called Neighbor Songs, I think. And then the other one is called Work Songs. Oh, um, and cool. so it's like the work songs are about glorifying God through your work. Um, oh my which gosh. Is encouraging to me since I work full time and in the field of social work, most of the time I feel like I'm just banging my head against the wall and I'm not actually doing any, any good or accomplishing anything. And so just kind of being reminded that God is glorified by me working hard and going to work every day. So that those, both of those albums are, are really good. Wow. I love that. I have to check that out. That is, that sounds really beautiful. I think a lot of us, even, you know, you said you work full time, but is there anything more mundane or banging your head on the wall than even staying at home as a mom? Yeah. And so the, I think just the day to day. Yeah, just working as unto the glory of God. I love that. Mm-hmm. Unloading the dishwasher to the glory of God. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Well, Marion, this has been so great. I really just appreciate, you know, I always say this show is just moms talking to moms and it's not about experts, but it feels like a time that we were ready for an expert also. And really, I appreciate you sharing just your story a little bit, but then also the practicals of what it can look like to serve our families right now. So I really appreciate it. And thanks so much for sharing your family and, and your wisdom with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. You can find us online, www.realmompodcast.com or on iTunes and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmompodcast or Instagram at realmompodcast. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah.
my king You are the light